You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. Welcome to our sermon series, The Holy Spirit, Presence With Us. Join us as we explore the person and work of the Holy Spirit and how His presence in our lives empowers us to live a life of faith and witness. Discover how the Holy Spirit can transform us and guide us into a deeper relationship with Him. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is John 3, 1 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. How can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless anyone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I have told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. If you're a first-time guest, I want to say hello. My name is Jamal. I am uh, one of the pastors here, and uh, we are glad that you are here. We pray that a word would be spoken or that the Lord would minister to you through song in a way that will enrich your life in Christ Jesus. So recently I was having a conversation with someone, and uh, they're, they were very kind, extremely kind. They're one of those people who you just think, man, this person is like the the salt of the earth. They are very enduring, very uh, smart. They present themselves in a way that is very humble and life-giving. But the reality is that as a Christian, I believe um, that this, because this person does not know Jesus and is not in a a relationship with Jesus, um, that even though they are extremely nice, um, even though they're extremely smart and present themselves in a humble way, that they, according to the scriptures, are living in darkness. They're not in fellowship with God. And there's a part of my heart, if I'm honest, that sometimes is, meets people who don't know Jesus, but who is very kind and very nice, who wants to say, man, they're so nice and they're so kind. If there's a way for this person to be in the kingdom of God without knowing Jesus, if it was possible, it would be this person. And all of us, if we're Christians, know people like that. And we experience people who, quite frankly, uh, sometimes their outward presentation seems like they have maybe more fruit than some Christians we interact with online (laughs) or in our community group. And it can be disorienting. And we can start telling ourselves that, or even deep down inside, living with a deception that somehow when it's all said and done, even if this type of person, even if this person does not confess faith in Christ, that it'll be okay because at the end, love will win and they'll be in heaven with us. Well, today's text 
is going to disturb all of us because it is going to clearly show us that the only way that a person is in fellowship with God is if God supernaturally intervenes through the Holy Spirit and gives them spiritual life. This text is going to show us that nice religious people are not those who inherit spiritual life. That those who inherit spiritual life are those who have been born again through the power of the Holy Spirit by grace through faith. Jesus is going to turn this idea of niceness and kindness and religiosity and general spirituality on its head and remind us that the only way into the kingdom of God is explicitly through him and him alone. And the only way that that happens is because the Holy Spirit has given life. So as we start and as we continue in this series that we're starting on the Holy Spirit, that's, that's the main point today is that fellowship with God is only possible through the supernatural intervention of the Holy Spirit. Fellowship with God is only possible through the supernatural intervention of the Holy Spirit. And as we're going through these texts, there's kind of three uh, questions that I'll be answering. And the first is, is what does it mean to be born uh, again? What does it mean to be regenerated? How does regeneration work? And who needs regeneration? And you say regeneration, where did that come from? Well, I'm going to show you in the text. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a religious leader named Nicodemus. And in verse 3, he says, truly, I tell you, truly, for real, for real, putting it in today's vernacular, young folk, one, I'm keeping it 100 with you, right? Uh, unless someone is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So we're going to be looking at those three movements. What is regeneration? How does regeneration work? And who needs regeneration? So what is regeneration? It's a a big word, but it, it simply means this. To be regenerated is the mighty work of God by which unbelievers are given a new nature, being born again. B.B. Warfield has a definition I like. It says, regeneration is the radical and complete transformation wrought in the soul by the Holy Spirit, by virtue of which we become new men, new people. I like that, wrought in the soul. All right. In John 3, we meet Nicodemus, and we're told in the text that Nicodemus is a, a ruler of the Jews. In verse 3, 1 through 2, we see that Nicodemus is religious, but he's not regenerated, right? He's very bright. He's very smart, but he's not born again. And Jesus is going to tell Nicodemus that he, in order to be made right with God, in order to have fellowship with God, must encounter the living God through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's religious. He's part of the Sanhedrin part of the spiritual supreme court of Israel, so to speak. But he's not redeemed. The text says that Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he comes to him at night. There's a lot of debate about if that's something that we can, that preaches, so to speak, him coming at night. Like, 
Did he come to Jesus at night uh, because he was kind of creeping? He didn't want other people to know that um, he was becoming a follower of Jesus because he was shy or nervous of, of what people would think? Or did he uh, come to Jesus at night because it was just that time of day that he came to him? And it's just John's way of just giving details that may or may not be necessary. Um, personally, as I was reading the first few chapters of John in context, I think that this is John uh, making mention of Nicodemus' spiritual state. That John is saying and giving us a clue here that even though Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews, as we look at the end of this chapter, he is in darkness. Not only is he in darkness in his present state without confessing the Messiahship and the, the kingship of Jesus, man, he's condemned. And not only is he condemned and in darkness, but because he is rejecting the truth, because he is rejecting the truth, listen, He's actually evil. I'm going to pause there because I think that this is really important for us in this day and age to come to grips with as Christians. Because the spirit of the age will have us to believe that kindness, niceties, some sort of internal integrity that that's true virtue, that if we're tolerant and kind and nice and evolving as human beings, that that's really enough. Perhaps the reason why some of us are living with spiritual apathy, we don't share our faith, we don't find ourselves ever falling to our face and pleading for that person that we know who is lost, but who has a general spirituality, is because we've been lured by the spirit of the age into the spirit of, of the age to maybe deep down in our heart believe that there's a chance for them without Christ. But the Bible and Jesus is going to teach that the only way that anyone has fellowship with God is through Jesus Christ. And the only way that they come to have fellowship with God is through the supernatural miraculous, sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So that person that you know who quotes Jesus and his teachings and also who reads the Quran and believes in the five pillars and also practices Hindu traditions with a little bit of Buddhism and a little bit of, uh, of, of, of other things, who is the kindest person you know, according to the scriptures, are in darkness. And any works that come out of them, even though it may benefit other people, aren't works of light. It's actually evil. Because at the end of the day, any work that is not done truly by faith to the glory of Jesus is not good works. So Jesus cuts through the niceties and he cuts through the religiosity. He cuts through the compliment that Nicodemus gives. Look at Nicodemus' confident, uh, uh, his, uh, his compliment. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you are 
a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with them. And he's, he's very nice. But I believe chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, John has kind of given us a framework even before Jesus talks. Like he's given us a framework to even understand what's happening here. He says this. I'll go up to verse 23. While he was in Jerusalem doing the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. So they believed he was from God. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all and because he did not need anyone to testify about man for he himself knew what was in man. In other words, Jesus did not entrust himself to people who were kind of fawning over him, believing in him, because they weren't going far, far enough. It wasn't a belief that led to trust, to a trust that he was the Messiah, that the messianic age had come, that he was greater than a teacher, greater than a priest, greater than a prophet, that he was God himself. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, for real, for real, truly, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot come into the kingdom of God. To be born again. What does that mean? Let's look at that. What is regeneration or how does it how does it work? So Jesus cuts through his compliments. He cuts through it and says, you need a new birth. And one of the ways to interpret born again is also to interpret as being born from above. Okay. To be born again is to be born from above, meaning that there is a supernatural intervention that allows one to respond to, to, to God. Verse 4, how can anyone be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time to be born? And Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you, you must be born again. And in verse uh, 9, how can these things be? Asked Nicodemus, are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied. So Nicodemus, extremely educated, um, knows the law, knows the Old Testament, even though he knows about God, is not in fellowship with God because he has not been born from above. And Jesus is like, yo, you are a teacher. You're one of the rulers of my people. You should know this. But he doesn't know this because only when one is born from above can one truly grasp the heart of God. Can one truly understand the thing behind the thing? Can one true, truly see? For Neo and the Matrix, it was taking the, the right pill, right? Choosing the right pill. Um, for us, it's um, us placing our faith in Christ through the Spirit. Now, when Jesus says, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he is pointing us back actually to the Old Testament. We read this earlier in our service, but he's pointing us back to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, verse 25 through 27. It is where the prophet is writing concerning a national renewal um, that would essentially require personal renewal, personal regeneration of the members of the nation um, of Israel. 
And so here's what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel 36 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean and I will give you a new heart and I will put my spirit uh, with you. So when we talk about regeneration, what are we talking about? We're talking about God cleaning someone's heart, purifying them. We're talking about God giving them a new heart. We're talking about God putting his spirit, his Holy Spirit in a person, enabling them to respond by faith to the message of the gospel. Titus 3, 5 says, he, speaking of God, through Jesus saved us, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by who? By the Holy Spirit. Salvation is God's work. Salvation is when God regenerates and renews a person's heart. It is God's initiative. It is God breaking through the darkness that is in a person's soul. God, through the Holy Spirit, is our only hope for fellowship with him. Another way to speak about being born again is to speak about a person becoming a a new creation. Uh, This language is all throughout the New Testament. It takes us back, right, um, to this image of of Genesis chapter 1, 1 and 2. And we talked about in uh, last week how the Holy Spirit took uh, this kind of holy uh, chaos of uh, creation and how the waters were uh, uh, present and unformed and there was no boundaries and there was darkness and how the Holy Spirit just hovered over God's creation. And God spoke, let there be light. And the Holy Spirit broke forth and, and perfected God's work in creation and brought light. Well, in a similar way, when a person, in order for a person to become a Christian, the Holy Spirit has to take the chaos, that darkness, that lack of faith, that lack of belief, that hardness of heart. He has to, as Pastor Jason talked about, he, he has to get in there and, and put some, some new soil and, and he has to bring re- uh, regeneration and, and renewal in life. And light only comes um, through him. We read that in 2 Corinthians. Paul writes, let light shine out of darkness. This light has shone in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. It is impossible for a person to have fellowship with God without God initiating it through the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who brings light to darkness. Verse 8, Jesus gives us an interesting metaphor for the Holy Spirit. Look at your Bibles. It says, the wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit can be spoken of as as wind, as breath. Um, And sometimes it's it's even just interchangeable depending on the context. And I think it's interesting that Jesus picks up on this Old Testament notion of wind. And he says, hey, just like the wind, so is the Spirit. You don't know where it's going or where it's coming from, but you you know that there is wind. You, You can experience the wind. 
In the same way, I think that Jesus is pointing to Nicodemus, who is really trying really hard to understand. He's trying to understand Jesus. He's like, man, I'm fascinated by you. You know, I've heard the stories. I've seen with my own eyes. You're doing miraculous things. There's just something about the way you move, right? Uh, There's a way in which you teach with authority. And he's trying to understand. He wants some of that. And Jesus makes it clear. Two things. First, that the Spirit sovereignly moves as he pleases. Right? You can't manufacture the Spirit. The Spirit sovereignly moves as it pleases. To be even more theologically precise, the Spirit sovereignly moves in uh, according to the Father's will. Right? Father's will. But second, that the Spirit sovereignly saves by grace. Saves by grace. It's not anything that we can do in our, in our own strength or in our own power. It moves according to his own plan. Which brings me to our third and really a final big question. is who needs regeneration? Who needs regeneration? In this text, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a spiritual leader who is nice, whose theology is tight, um, who is intrigued by him, but who is not regenerated. Listen to this. Religious people need regeneration. Just because you're religious, you have theological integrity, you know your Bible, does not mean that you have fellowship with God. In a room like this, there are some of you who know your Bible really well. You're really smart. And for you, following Jesus is just crossing T's theologically and dotting I's. But you don't have fellowship with him. There's no true communion with him because you have not placed your faith and trust in him as a person, as Lord, as your Savior. At the end of the day, you think that your, maybe your intellectual ascent, your genius, your, your brilliance is what's going to make you right with God. And so you go through the motions and you religiously do things. Um, but that is not what our hope is in. Our hope is in a literal person, a Savior who, who was born of a virgin who was filled with the spirit, who did justice and mercy with perfection, who was without sin, but who died in our place because we are sinners. Jesus said, I did not come for the person who is well. I came for the sick. I came for the person who recognizes that they are a sinner, that they are alienated from God without him. But Jesus also comes from, for, the, for the, inre, the irreligious, the irreligious spiritual person needs regeneration. I think it's so fascinating. John, the book of John is just fascinating. Uh, right after John 3, we have John 4. And it's almost as if John is comparing and contrasting two people. You see Nicodemus. He's a spiritual leader, a ruler in Israel. He's a male in this uh, patriarchal a system, society. He has everything going for himself uh, because where he is with the Sanhedrin, he's probably wealthy. There's an inner integrity about him. 
And then in John 4, John gives us a person who's the complete opposite. She's a woman. She doesn't have a place of, 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 of privilege of any kind in society. Her moral integrity seems questionable. We don't know all the details of why she's had so many husbands, but it's questionable. Something ain't right somewhere. And maybe she's just being oppressed, but something isn't right. Um, Nicodemus comes at night. She comes in the day, right? But she's spiritual. Like she has a theology. It's not the right theology, but she has a theology. And yet by the end of the chapter, she responds differently than Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the spiritual leader who's intellectual, who knows the Old Testament in and out, is lost. At best, he's sympathetic to Jesus, but he does not see him as a savior. And yet this person who is on the margins of society, who's not educated, who's not intelligent, by the end of the chapter is running back and telling everybody that she has met the Messiah. So we ought to actually be careful, too, of how we look at people to make sure we're looking at them in the spiritual realm and not in the flesh. Because just because a person is theologically astute and educated does not mean a person knows Jesus. There are some people who may not fit your categories of class and wealth and education who the kingdom of God belongs to and who will be first in heaven. So Rabbi Nick, still struggling. He's like, yo, I still don't get it. (laughs) Jesus is like, all right, I tried to give you a little short nuggets and sermons. Now I got to preach to you. And so Jesus is just about to preach the gospel. Here's the point that I want to make here. From verse 10 to verse 21, we have the clearest presentation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And what we must understand is is that this is what the Holy Spirit uses to bring regeneration. The Holy Spirit uses the good news of Jesus Christ in order to make people alive. And those people in our life who are nice and kind and intelligent or smart and just good people who don't need, who don't know Jesus. And while God can use our good works, can use our kindness back at the end of the day, what the Holy Spirit uses to save people is a clear message of the gospel. Y'all have heard me say it once and I'll say it a hundred times. It is good to build bridges with people. We should build bridges. But the purpose of a bridge is to send something across it. Some of us, we have been building bridges with people for years and we have never sent anything across it. And part of what I want to do with this, what I'm hoping the Lord does with this sermon is for us to have faith in Jesus and his gospel, to believe that it is powerful and that his gospel Yes, it is foolish to some people, but it is a message of life unto others. It is an aroma, Paul says, of life to some and an aroma of death to others. And our job is to be male men and male women, is to deliver the message and to trust that God is sovereign and good and eager to save.
That's what we see in this text. <laughs> Jesus, man, he's about to preach. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Look at verse 13. He's just about to start preaching himself. Jesus is the only person who can preach himself and it'd be okay. <laughs> he says, listen, no one has ascended unto heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the son of man. And this is the message of John. Like John is like exclusively like pointing us to Jesus. Early on in John chapter one, uh, verse 51, Jesus said, then he said, Jesus, truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is his message. He is the Son of Man. You will see Jesus himself ascend into heaven. You will see all of heaven pleased with him. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended into heaven, the Son of Man. He's speaking of himself. This is Old Testament language. This is Daniel chapter 7. This is his claim to being the Messiah and ultimately to being divine. Verse 14, now he's going to take him to Moses in Numbers. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. He points us back to a wilderness experience where Israel had rebelled. And as a result, uh, they uh, were in inflicted and judged by, uh, by snakes. And God told Moses to take a serpent, put it on a pole and to lift it high. And whoever looks at that serpent will be healed. And the whole point of it is essentially saying that God needs to intervene miraculously in order for these people who are judged and condemned to be healed. And so as they look to the serpent on a snake, by faith, they will be healed. And the reason Moses had to go through this weird experience of creating a bronze snake and lifting it on a pole, he didn't know it, was to preach Jesus. That one day Jesus will say to Israel, unless you look to the Son of Man who will, be, who will ascend unto the heavens through the cross, through the resurrection, and through the ascension by faith, you are doomed. Because Jesus became sin. And those who place their faith and trust in him, their sin is no longer counted against them. This is what the Holy Spirit uses in our hearts to bring spiritual life. And this is a message of, of love. Some may say this is a message of intolerance. It's too narrow. Jesus is the only way. Well, Jesus would say no. This is the truth. You can call it intolerance all you want to, but this is the truth. And this truth is not grounded in hate. It's actually grounded in love. Listen, for God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe in him is already condemned. The only way to be saved is to embrace God's love through his crucified and resurrected son who died so that we could have eternal fellowship with him. This is the good news, is that God does not punish us because of our sin, because of our darkness, because of our evil, if we place our faith and trust in him, believing that he loved us enough to allow his son 
to take the punishment that we deserve. Greater love has no man than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. The Bible teaches that Jesus laid down his life for you, out of love for you. And those who reject this message, I don't care what faith or what creed or what excuse or reason they give, or maybe you are giving today, at the end of the day, according to Jesus, you are rejecting it because you want to be in control. Every other religious system, every other religious doctrine at the end of the day says that we are made right with God because of the works that we perform. Christianity says what makes us right with God is not five pillars. It's not the laws of Confucius. It's not Hinduism. It's not Buddhism. What makes us right with God is that his precious son, who is fully God, became a man, died in our place out of love for us, took our sin upon himself, received the righteous, perfect, eternal wrath of God so that we would not have to, so that we would know God. Any other message is not true. And to believe any other message is not only a lie. Jesus says it's evil and you're in darkness. And any work that you do at the end of the day is done in darkness because you don't see the ultimate purpose of good works, which is to glorify God through Christ Jesus. It's a tough truth, but it's true. Verse 19 This is Jesus's words, not mine. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The light, look at that. The light is beauty. It's the ability to see correctly. It's the ability to love other people, not because you need something from them, but because you have been perfectly loved in Christ Jesus. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. They loved it. And he's talking to Nicodemus, someone who most people will look at and be like, no, you're you are the light. You are the example. You're so religious. You do these good works. You know, the the Old Testament. And Jesus is like, Nicodemus, I love you too much to allow you to believe that you are in fellowship with God. You love darkness. Because at the end of the day, Jesus and the other gospels and John gets to a little bit, but Matthew 23 even gets behind the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes' motivations. And their motivation at the end of the day was to, to be loved by men. To be in good standings with men. To be seen by man, to be accepted by man, to be good enough for man. Not for God. Verse 24, everyone who does evil hates the light. Everyone who sins hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So I wrap it up. I want to 
put it all in a, in a nutshell here and just do a quick review of what we're saying by looking at this text. What I'm saying is this. One, we believe that in order as Christians for a person to enter the kingdom of God, they must be born again. Fellowship with God is only possible through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who gives life and light, who allows us to respond by faith to the gospel. Being born again is the work of the Holy Spirit, and this is a gift from above. It's not something that we can just manufacture in our own strength. God in his sovereignty saves and, and we respond by grace. And there's this tension in this text that we see that the Holy Spirit moves as he pleases. And yet there is a responsibility of every human being to respond by faith to this message. It's not a contradiction. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mystery. Three, being born again comes when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and heart, the heart of a person to see that Jesus is the son of man, believing in him being lifted up. Only when we see the risen and ascended Jesus as the center of the universe, as our Lord, our Savior, and our satisfaction, are we saved. Those who do not believe in Jesus as the Son of Man are condemned, and they are living in darkness. And this should do three things for us as believers. One, for those of us who are in Christ and who has been saved, it should, it should bring a, a sense of praise that God has saved us. The Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith. This is not the work of man, but it is the work of God so that no one can boast. This should be extremely humbling to us. For some of us, we grew up in church. We're like Nicodemus, man. We knew all the Sunday school answers. And there's maybe a temptation for us to believe that the reason that we're here today is because we figured it out or we believed in our own strength. And the Holy Spirit's invitation for you today is to commune with him through thanksgiving, recognizing that it was God's supernatural intervention that brought you to him. Not you going to Sunday school. Not you knowing the right answers. Not you figuring it out. <coughs> Praise him. Worship him. Thank him. That the, maybe the difference between you and someone else who sat in that same class, who heard the same teachings, who's not in Christ, is not what you have done, but it's, it's what the Holy Spirit has done in you. Amen. But two, it should cause us to pray and to plead with God to save those who don't know him that we know. <laughs> to pray that the Holy Spirit's wind would blow upon their heart, that it would be uh, like a hammer breaking up foul ground, like water that brings that soil back to life, like light that shines down to give it the nutrients that it needs to grow in faith. Some of us are not living with gospel urgency and I can find myself not living with gospel urgency, not pleading because maybe I think that if I string together the right sentences or do the right deeds that it will wake them up. No, what wakes them up is the Holy Spirit's intervention. When is the last time you pleaded to God the Father, to send the Spirit to save someone. 
Third, this text should calls us to preach the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. You know, it's an old saying by a saint that, you know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And I actually literally had that T-shirt. It was my favorite T-shirt for a long time. <laughs> it was, man, it was dope. It was brown. It had a little blue. It, it, it actually fit my swag. I know I don't look like the type that'll wear something like that, but I was rocking it. And I get it. Perhaps some of the best messages that people are going to hear is what they see, is how we live. And I do believe that. It's, it's the deeds that let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your God in heaven. But it's also word. <laughs> how will they believe unless the preacher preaches? At some point, Christian, at some point, you have to trust the Holy Spirit, trust the power of the gospel. It is the power of the gospel, Romans 1:16. It is the power of the gospel that brings people to believe. Trust the message. Trust the message that saved you. It's the simplicity of the gospel. The gospel is, is not simple. It gets in there and it it, it, it plays with idols and it, 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 it but, but it is, there's a simplicity to it. Trust it, preach it in all its simplicity. Christ died for sinners. You and I, we are image bearers. We are loved by God. He has put his stamp on us. We are carrying his image. We are in his Imago day. He has breathed his breath into us, but we must be born again. We must be born from above. That is the only way to have fellowship with God, to truly see him. And the only way that we are born again is if we place our faith and trust on the one with whom the angels ascend and descend, Jesus Christ. My pastor used to say, it's tight, but it's right. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit Sojourn Church dot com slash midtown.